When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Hey y'all, the OGs and new listeners alike. I am Randy, one half of the Black Millennial Marriage Podcast, and this is my indie episode. Now, indie episodes are individual episodes Mikey and I record. It's a way for us to honor who we are as individuals and not just who we are as spouses. Episodes will drop every Thursday or Friday (laughs) from one of us with our thoughts about a random topic. Today is my turn, and for the first segment, I'm going to talk about going back to Africa, what that turned out to be like for me, and my thoughts on the rhetoric I'm seeing from racist whites, racist whites, and everyone else. Finally, I'll leave you with two book recommendations, one that's in honor of Pride Month, and one that's just for fun. I miss y'all. I know it's been a while since I've dropped an indie, but I thank you for your grace, and I'm back. And I hope you enjoy. Yeah. I'm sweating. Yeah. In 2010, thought I was doing something. And now I'm rapping with a crew or something. I guess the track don't really stick unless he's blowing something. And I never fit the shoe until I do or something. Yo, bracing myself like teeth, boy, it's the same old route on some new concrete. But homie, these tunes make you get a new ID. I'm trying to do my thing, but the commute ain't cheap. I'm on a two-day week for all this rap these days. And we can still pitch the track to all the wacky J's. We're singing happy days, wearing tacky J's. And I'm just pumped that I made it out my nappy phase. Let's go. We can turn the whole world around. I'm in the backseat. So what had happened was, um, I've been seeing a lot of, well, go back to Africa then from white people (laughs) and send me back to Africa, please, from black people. And it got me thinking about my experience with studying abroad to Cape Coast, Ghana. I've been asked to talk about this for a while, but my trip was so many years ago and I didn't know how I could spin it to be relevant. And then boom, the revolution started. So... (laughs) First, how do I feel about white people saying we'll go back to Africa? Um, in short, my feelings sum up to be go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't understand how people with the lineage of kidnapping and stealing literal human beings can fix their mouth to say anything about our journey back to Africa, especially when that same lineage has made it virtually impossible for any of us to know who the fuck we are and what parts of Africa we're actually from. It's peak white supremacy insanity, and I don't want any part of it. So um, (laughs) how I feel about black people saying they want to go back to Africa. Um, I feel like pick a country and do it. If you have the funds, if you have the coins, I think it's a I think it's a quality investment. But I also think that if you do go back to a country in Africa, you should be mindful that the experience may turn out to be more complex than you thought, which brings me to why I studied abroad. So I studied abroad to Ghana, Cape Coast, Ghana, for a few reasons. One, my school ironically had a great study abroad program. 
and they made it relatively easy for all of their students to go out of the country. They really advocated for it. Um, There was an application process, but 99% of the time your trip was approved and mine was. And so I went with a program called SIT, which is the School of International Training. And I did their Origins of African Identity program to Cape Coast, Ghana. A second reason I wanted to go to Ghana was because um, I was just getting into my double major of Africana studies. And I had learned that a large part of the slave trade left out of Ghana. So most of us are more than likely Ghanaian and or had to travel through Ghana to get to ships and, you know, to be forcefully put on ships (laughs) which is awful but um and I was tired of being a minority and one of the only few black faces around so I knew that if I studied abroad I wouldn't be going to Europe or anywhere even if there were even even though there are black people all over the world I really wanted to go to a place in a country where it was black people everywhere and so I chose Ghana Ghana also has is one of the few and or maybe the only West African country that still has its slave dungeons up. A lot of countries knocked theirs down, but Ghana, um, but Ghana didn't. And so I, I wanted to go to, go to slave dungeons and to actually see what my people went through and, and like what that was like. And so that was also a part of my decision. So, um, I spent four months in Ghana from August to December and it was a lot. (laughs) So things that were actually hard about living in Ghana. One, in a lot of ways, I was still a minority and I definitely romanticized the experience and made a lot of mistakes. So while I was and while I am black and everybody in Ghana is black, everybody in Ghana, mostly everybody in Ghana, are Ghanaian and I am African-American and that is a big difference and I didn't think that it would be um in all the ways that it was but it certainly was and so so in fact I was still a minority because there were things about my experience as an African-American that no one could relate to and things about obviously being Ghanaian that I couldn't relate to for one the language there are many um languages in Ghana and dialects in my program, we were taught Fonti, but there's Ewe, and English is a is a median language. But there's a whole bunch of <laughs> there were a whole bunch of times I was in conversation and did not know what the fuck was going on around me, which was really lonely and sad for a lot of reasons. Because I kept thinking, if I if my family hadn't been stolen, I would know what y'all were saying, <laughs> and I didn't know what they were saying. Um. And I romanticized the experience. I thought that I would go back to go back in quotes to Ghana and be welcomed with open arms. Now, Ghana is the, the the queen of hospitality. They are known for their hospitality, but people are still people. And and it was still really hard. And it wasn't this happy go lucky experience that I hoped it would be. I cried in Ghana. I was scared in Ghana. I was mad in Ghana. Like, (laughs) I was still alive. And I think a lot of Black people who haven't been outside the country and who haven't been to a country in Africa think that, at least for me, I thought that when I went back, I wouldn't experience the same emotions that I experienced being in America. And I was absolutely wrong. 
And I made a lot of mistakes because um, while some things in a very beautiful and powerful way do translate across the diaspora in terms of what blackness means and culture means for black people, there are obviously millions of things that don't. So one of the mistakes I made was (laughs) I had worn at this wrap that I used to wear around my hips all the time and 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 I still do but and in Ghana I did and it was fine but <clears throat> the problem was one day I had worn it just as a dress I had like something under it of course but like I had worn it as I had like tied it around my neck and it looked like a dress and something that I could definitely get away with here it was long enough it was it was covering enough and I of course like I said worn something under it and I had walked all the way from my house my homestay family's house all the way to school and y'all that was a trip do you hear me it was a trip but by the time that I had you know I had I had mastered it though because we had to get to school and they just you know my program just dropped you off in the middle of the city you had to figure out how to get back so they gave us a crash course on how to get around where we were staying in Cape Coast so I walked all the way to school and the whole time people were staring at me but I hadn't I didn't it didn't compute why I thought they were just staring at me because we are all in the same city obviously I do not live here you know or I haven't lived here before and I'm new and I just thought it was like oh look at the new the new black girl um who they used to call me Rasta because I have locks and I was like I'm not Jamaican no shade but (laughs) Jamaicans are the only people who wear locks but um that wasn't always that didn't always come across but anyway I got all the way to school and one of the women pulled me aside who was our um she was like on the team of people helping the American students get accumulated to or acclimated to living in Ghana and she was like hey so um in this country (laughs) in Cape Coast when you that when you wear that wrap it's a symbol of you going to take a bath and and so we don't just wear that out we 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 like wear that to like the shower and then we take it off and then we put on real clothes and I my mouth like hit the floor I was like what and my um I I can't remember if my homestay sister or mother let me watch me leave the house I can't remember but I just cried y'all I just I felt so fucking stupid because it was such a stupid thing to do and Uncle Elbow who um who was our guide and and someone that we all got really close to he came and found me because I just could not stop crying (laughs) I was like I want to go home I'm done (laughs) this was like week three or something um and he he talked me off the ledge he's like it's okay it's gonna happen you are still very brave and we're happy you're here and all that stuff it was great but that was that was one of the mistakes I made just being of the diaspora in another country in another black country so I definitely romanticized the experience I never thought that I'd fuck up in that way and I did but I never made it again and everybody seemed to forget about it or at least had the grace not to ever bring it up and I end up wearing it as a skirt for the rest of the day because that's that's fine but (laughs) but not as a dress so anyway um another thing that was hard about living in Ghana was I was often angry and lonely and couldn't talk to anyone about it so I I didn't get to pick who I went on the trip with we all were from different universities and so I was one of two black girls on the trip 
and one of the girls was mixed, uh, but she identified as black and her father's Ethiopian. And she, I tell her all the time, she is more African than me, but <laughs> cause she actually had just got back from, from, um, Ethiopia and came right to the, to Ghana. Um, so she had already spent her whole summer in, in, in Africa, but I couldn't pick who I went with. So the rest of my classmates were white and very white at that. So that was really lonely because I didn't escape the passive racism that I hoped I would escape or the microaggressions that I hope I would escape when I got to Ghana. I was around it all the time. They had a lot of problems with the fact that the Ghanaians um, who we lived with gravitated more towards us because we looked like them and we were black and across the board people don't really trust white people so <laughs> that was a problem with our classmates they didn't like that oftentimes we had gone off and made our own group of friends with the community and so they made life really hard when we were in class um like i said lights lots of microaggressions but also lots of microaggressions but also um ghana like i said is one of the few west african countries with the slave dungeon still up and it was a really difficult experience going to them we went to the amina slave castle but had been taught that you know castle is is supposed to be for something pretty and these dungeons are not pretty they are awful places and so i try to call them dungeons but we went and right in front of them are little kids and people ghanaians selling like touristy things it was such a weird <laughs> it was such a weird awful dynamic because they have a lot of tourists coming to these dungeons and so it's a prime place to get money and that was re- that was really weird for me um because by this point we had already like we've lived here and we all got our feelings and our emotions into to and to know that that day we were going to the slave dungeons it was just compounding so we were already on edge and and then you have like these very real feelings but like these little babies trying to sell us these colorful bracelets right in front of the dungeon. That was really hard. And also, um, the tour was hard. The tour guide, you know, I'd asked him, I was like, are you okay? You know, have, are, have you been desensitized from doing these tours? Because my classmates laughed the whole time. They talked about the smell in this really playful way the whole time. I mean, it was awful, y'all. It was awful. <sighs> and he had said that, yeah, he was desensitized. So it, I was dealing with like, the trauma of touring this dungeon and like reconciling what my people have been through and like just the stench that's still there and how awful it is. And then the door of no return is standing in it and not having anyone to talk to about it. Cause at one point, one of my homestay sisters was like, yeah, we see the dungeons all the time, but it's like, it's nothing to them. Like their school's, some of their schools open up and right outside their window is a dungeon, but they have no, at least when she was talking to me, for her, there was no like personal relationship to it. It was just the building, you know, it was like, yeah, it's there, but why is it, why does it hurt so much? And I couldn't even express it to her. And like, I was like, this is just, this is really much harder than I thought. Um, and so it was hard reconciling being a black American in a country in Ghana. It was just it was just harder than I thought it would be. And the third thing that was really difficult difficult about living in Ghana was one of my homestay mothers was god awful. She was awful. She didn't start off that way, but I hadn't realized till maybe a month or two in that she had been trying to put me off on her 
brother who was old. And at the time, y'all, as y'all know, I'm, I have a relationship. I'm with Mikey, but we're not in the same country. And, and my homestay family did not consider boyfriends. Like, in Ghanaian culture, at least from my experience, boyfriends is not the same thing, obviously, as spouses. And so whenever I would say I have a boyfriend, they'd be like, well, do you have a boyfriend here? And it was a whole thing. So I kept missing the signs that he was into me <laughs> because I just thought it was Ghanaian hospitality. Like, why would any, like, you're my homestay family. You're supposed to be making me feel safe and be like a refuge from after a long day. And we're supposed to be a family. And you want me to fuck your brother? Like, it was awful. And at one point, she just lashed out We because me and my homestay sister was talking about Mikey. And she was like, you think you're too good for Ghanaian men? I was like, what? So that's your problem? Y'all, um, it was really bad. <laughs> I was I would be so happy when I when I could leave their house and go stay with someone else. At one point, she you know, it's a really big thing in Ghana if you don't finish your food. And ever since I left Ghana, I can't leave food on my plate because it's really disrespectful to do it. At least in Cape Coast it was. And she would purposely give me plates and plates of food and I couldn't finish it. So not only do I look like I'm too good for Ghanaian men, I'm not eating all your food. And it just, it was just a setup to fail. The last night there before we got to go off and live on our own for a month, she did not feed me. <laughs> Actually she cooked, but she made crabs. And by this point, my whole home safe family and everybody in cape coast who i've eaten with knows i can't eat seafood and i and it was awful and i one of my friends stayed with me that night and she was like randy we're not eating like she she just couldn't get over it she just couldn't get over it. and i was just happy i had a witness so she was really awful and it didn't help to be around a black woman who started off really great and ended up really trifling and it was awful so that was what was hard about living in Ghana. Things that were great about living in Ghana was I honest to God blended in and that was so great. And it allowed it really changed how I moved. I got to walk around the city and I wasn't stopped. You know, um, whenever we were with our classmates, all the kids would leave their schools and be like, A Bruni Coco, how are you? And they would sing this song, um, and basically be asking for money because to you know they've been taught that white people and white tourists have money and 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 it was awful <laughs> it was awful to like always like be in your zone trying to get to a place and because I'm with these white people I keep getting stopped you know because now it's clear that I'm American but when I was by myself oh my god I loved it it was so nice and I looked at it I, I can pass in some instances um according to many other people in Cape Coast. And so that was really great. And I've never had that experience anywhere else, anywhere else. Um, and so it was great. Another thing that was great about living in Ghana was I got to live in Ghana. Like, <laughs> like who, who gets to say that? Not a lot of people get to leave the country and live somewhere else and come back in one piece, you know, and change and transformed and I just felt so blessed. And by the end of the trip, I had actually gained a lot of respect from the locals and from the people who I had literally had gotten four months to know because I, I did it. And that's a big ass thing. And so I was just really proud of myself and really I just I was so honored to to like my ancestors. I just felt so grateful that everything they went through and everything they passed down to our DNA, you know, 
got me my family and got me my mom that put me in this school that gave me this privilege to go. And I just felt very grateful. And I loved it. I loved that I was able to go. And it really impacted everything else moving forward. Like I would have never been able to get married had I not gone to Ghana and had this time to myself. And it was just great. And finally, the best thing about living in Ghana was I actually got to go to Benin. So if I not if I had not gone to Ghana to study abroad, I would have never got to travel to Benin, which is another West African country close to Ghana. And it was actually my favorite country of the two. <laughs> I love Benin. Mikey hates when I talk about it because he knows that, look, look, you slip up. This is where I'm moving. I'm going. And it was just a great experience. By the time I lived in Benin, I had already lived in Ghana for three months. And so I had gotten used to living abroad. Um, I was much more confident. We had a great host who was in our age group and he was black and and beneath speak and beneath people beneath speak French. And so it was so mind blowing to me to see black people speaking fluent French. Like this is the language, even though we know colonizers made this the case, but it was just powerful. Like, like we just be mastering languages. We just be adapting and adjusting and surviving. And, um, Benin also has a door of return, which was so like powerful and profound to me. And, one of the guys, well, there's this old, old black guy that was at this bookstore we were at, and he stopped me, and he had said something in French, and I had asked Patrice, that was our guide, I asked him, I was like, what did he say? Because I was so used to getting marriage proposals, and people wanted me to take them back to America. And I'm like, y'all don't want to be over there. Y'all think y'all want to be over there. <laughs> y'all don't want to be in America. Um, He was like, he said, you look like us, you should stay here. And y'all, yes, I cried. <laughs> I was like, don't. Tell me that because I will stay here. I love Benin and I never would have been able to go had I not gone to Ghana. So, yeah. And finally, my tips for going back in cults to Africa. One, journal. This is actually one of the things they told us in our like packet and stuff. But journal. You think you will remember everything when you travel and you actually want. There are so many things I've forgotten that if I didn't have a journal to look back to, I, I will be screwed because you, when you get back home, you know, you, you keep living life, you forget stuff. It's just natural. And so if you were to travel to a country in Africa, I would suggest journaling every day, even about the small things you don't even think matter because it all matters Two, research the country you want to go to. Um, because you just should know basic shit about where you're going and Three, also understand that research don't really mean anything because living somewhere <laughs> and studying a place are two very different things. Uh, there were some things that definitely helped me out in terms of research, but there are like in terms of like, you know, like Ghana isn't really big on this Cape Coast is really big on PDA. Like you don't really see a lot of couples hugging on each other, clothes, holding hands, at least not when I went back in 2011, 2012, but you do. You do see that happen at night. You know, when you go to the clubs and the parties, you do see more uh, personal interaction, intimate interaction. So like little things like that to be mindful of um, so that you don't stand out. Don't carry your camera around your neck because don't nobody in Ghana walk around with cameras. So you look just like a tourist, you know, like little things like that did help. But there are just some things you can't research enough and you have to just immerse yourself. So I understand that your research probably won't really help you as much as you thought. Yeah. So again, journal if you go back to Africa, research the country you want to go to, but also understand research will really help you.
All right. And finally, I will leave you with this. So it's Pride Month, y'all. And I, this Pride Month is just really special to me. I don't know if it's because we're in the middle of a revolution and I don't know. I just, I'm really thankful for it. And 2020 is, is, is something. But I want to share a book um, in honor of Pride Month that's also been really on my mind. I want to reread it, but I'm trying to stop rereading old books so I can get up my count of new books. But that book is Redefining Realness, My Path to Womanhood, Identity, Love, and so much more. And it is by Janet Mock. So Janet Mock is an activist. She's a writer. Um, she's a trans woman. And I just love her. I actually got introduced to her through Drew's godfather, Jeff, because he had took a picture with her um, because he had met her at some event and I couldn't stop staring at her. I was like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. And then I learned about her podcast, which she doesn't have anymore. And I can't remember what it was called, but um, I'll link it in the show notes. And I like binged her podcast. And then I don't know what, what made me finally buy her book. I can't remember where I saw. Anyway, I got the Redefining Realness book and I thought it would teach me about you know, what it was like for her to realize she's a woman and to, and like what that journey was for her. But y'all, I did not expect to relate so much to her story, her story, her relationship with her dad, her relationship with her mom, her journey as a woman. Like I just, like the book just moved me so much and her writing, she's just so eloquent. I just love good storytelling. And And just the fact that she was so vulnerable and transparent about her sex work and what she had to do to get her surgery and what it was like to date and to get married. I just I just love it. And I think that everyone should read it. And Janet Mock is a boss. And I'm just so moved by her and her activism and her work and her life. And I think it's a great book that if you are interested in being an ally or even just reading reading something that you probably wouldn't read I don't know if people some people aren't into I'm not really into nonfiction, but I loved it you know if you want to switch it up I just think you need to read this book that's what made me read it I just realized Melissa Harris Perry had talked about this book and I follow her too and I was like I okay okay I'm convinced and so it was just uh it's such a good book so read it it's pride month do it for the people reparations just read it and another book i want to recommend is the fairy godmother by mercedes lackey so i actually just finished this book about two weeks ago because and it was recommended to me by my mother and i read it as a way to get away from like when i needed to take a screen break from all the chaos and death and racism reading really helps me and so this book if you're interested in how fairy godmothers are made and (laughs) how did they get, you know, how do fairy godmothers come to be and why do some stories end with, you know, happily ever after and some don't like, it was just, it's such a nice spin on fairy tales. And if you've ever liked the show once upon a time, or if you're into grim fairy tales or in it or into any type of magical fantasy, I highly recommend this book. It was a fun read. But it was also like a deep read too. And it just makes you think about fate and magic. And I just love it. And I think that, and I think that you should read it if you need to take a load off. So yeah, thank y'all for tuning in. And I hope you take 
these recommendations and i hope you like this episode the black millennial marriage podcast is a domino sounds network submit questions or feedback for the next solo episode email us at blackmailmare at gmail.com or leave a voice message at 770-750-4098 and we will feature that on our you know future episodes let me know what you think about this episode and be sure to check out our website www.blackmillennialmarriage.com if you need some self-care some mental health care we have partnered and and have been sponsored by better help therapy and that's better help h-e-l-p so for 20 percent off your first subscription visit www.betterhelp.com slash b-m-m Follow us on social media platforms on Instagram. Mikey is Mikey underscore XXI. And I am Randy, R-A-N-D-I-I-I-I-E-E-E. And our Instagram for the podcast is Black Millennial Marriage. Thank y'all. As always, be blessed. Don't settle and fight clean. Peace. About time that I get back. Yo, I'ma get back. We can hold it down. Oh God, I'ma get back. Yo, I'ma get back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.